Likutei Sichais, Chelek Yudzayin, Volume 17, Second Sicha for Parshas Vayikra. This Sicha is based on the Rashi, but it's not your conventional Rashi Sicha. This Sicha will bring out the true meaning behind all Karbonis, behind all the sacrifices, and the real true essence of each and every Jew, regardless of the level of their observance. Now let's just take a quick review of what Chumash Vayikra is about and the uh, sacrifices, because primarily this book in the Torah speaks about the offerings, the sacrifices in the Beis Amikdash, and other matters pertaining to the Beis Amikdash, to the Holy Temple. So number one, there are two general groups of Korbanes. There's Korbanes Tzibur, that's communal offerings, and then there's Korbanes Yachit, individual offerings, that individual brings at you know various times. Those include Korbanes Oila. Oila means it totally goes up to Hashem. It gets totally consumed on the Mizbeach, on the altar. Then there are Korbanes Shlomim, which are literally peace offerings, meaning that they are partly consumed on the altar, partly by the Kohanim, the priests who offer it, and the greater part of it consumed by the person, the individual offering the sacrifice. And then there are Korbanes Mincha, which are meal offerings. They are brought from, not from live animals, rather from flour, a meal offering. Then there is also Korbanes Chayva, obligatory Korbanes, obligatory offerings. Of course, the first order of that is Korbanes Tzibur, communal offerings. The daily offerings, Kokarban Tamid, then you have the special offerings for the designated uh, occasions like Shabbos and Yantif, Rosh and so on. And then there are the individual offerings, the Korbanes Yachit. You have some that are obligatory. For example, Korban Pesach. Each Jew has to be part of a Korban Pesach, the offering to, in order to celebrate Pesach. Then there are the Korbanes that one is obligated to offer when they come for the pilgrimage, when they come for the Aliyah Leregel, for the three major festivals. Then there is the Korbanes Chagiga, the celebratory offerings which one has to bring in order to celebrate Yantif. And then there are the obligatory offerings of the individual, such as the Chatois and Korbanois Asham which are the sin offerings and the guilt offerings. If one, God forbid, committed a sin, one is obligated to bring an offering. Then there are the individual offerings, which is korbanis nidava, that is the voluntary or gift offerings, one that one gives out of the goodness of their heart. They give it on their own voluntary discretion. Of course, there are no such community offerings, as there is no obligation for the community to do so, nor can the community offer a voluntary offering. This is only and exclusively for the individual. Within that, there are two kinds. There's the carbon oila, which is a complete and total offering to Hashem, as we mentioned, and then there's sometimes a carbon shlamim, which one may bring at his discretion in order to celebrate, for example, the holiday and so on. Now, before we begin, let's just familiarize ourselves with the Rashi on which the Sicha is based. And that is the Rashi on the second verse in this Parsha, 
the second verse in this Chumash, chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, Adam ki Yaakiv miken korban Hashem. A Adam, a man, a person, who will offer from you a offering for Hashem. So Rashi says, what do these words mean? Kishe Yaakiv. It means when one will offer a korban, the following are the details, the rules for such a korban. And then he continues and he says, this matter is talking about korbanis nidava, voluntary offerings. So it's clear that the parsha, and as we, as we progress in the parsha, we see more and more that all the offerings that are discussed, at least in the beginning, in the primary stage of the discussion of the offerings, are all about the voluntary offerings, korbanis nidava. The question obviously is, it seems that it would have made more sense to first list obligatory offerings, one that must, one, uh, such offerings that one must bring, and only afterwards discuss the voluntary offerings. However, Rashi doesn't address this at all. Rashi doesn't even mention it, doesn't say anything about it. Thus, this leads us to the conclusion that in Pshutei Shamikra, in the simple meaning of all the verses of what the Torah is telling us, there is actually, in fact, no question. Otherwise, Rashi would have addressed it. In order to better understand this, we'll actually preface another with another question. What is that question? It seems that the Torah should have first discussed communal offerings. First, the Torah speaks about the community, then the individual. However, when one studies this week's Parsha, and in fact also next week's Parsha, Parsha's Tzav, one sees that the Torah doesn't mention at all any whatsoever communal offerings. Rather, it's only focused on the individual offerings, and moreover, as we already mentioned, it first speaks about the voluntary offerings, and only later does it go over to the, to the uh, obligatory offerings, such as the uh, sin offerings and guilt offerings, and so on. Perhaps... This question could be answered with the following explanation. You see, the communal offerings are very specific to certain occasions, to certain times, such as Shabbos, Yontif, and thus they're not applicable at all times. Whereas the individual offerings have no specific restrictions, meaning they have no date restrictions. They can be offered at almost any time. And therefore, perhaps one can argue that the reason why the Torah speaks about individual offerings first is because that is more applicable. It has a greater application to more time, so to speak, on the calendar versus the communal offerings. That perhaps is a good answer, but it still does not explain the initial question that we asked. Why does the Torah first choose to speak about, to discuss the voluntary offerings before it makes mention of the obligatory offerings. So the answer to this says the Rebbe is as follows. We know that as they were preparing the inauguration, the official dedication of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle, which is the first temple, there were seven days of consecration. In these seven days, you can call them seven days of practice, seven days of initiation. In these seven days, Aaron and his sons, who were going to be the 
Kohanim were actually more like students. Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, he served as the Kohen Gadol. He served as de facto Kohen. And he offered all the offerings throughout these seven days. And perhaps even including the eighth day, the official inauguration day of the Mishkan. Now, once we have established this, we can understand that there is no need to discuss communal offerings for the following reasons. Number one, many of the communal offerings are not yet applicable. Many of them, for example, let's say the offerings for Shabbos, or more so the offerings for the Yomim Tovim, for the holidays, for the festivals, they will not come until much later. So that's not the first order of business, so to speak. And the daily offering, which indeed needed to be offered even during those seven days, was offered by whom? By Moshe himself. Moshe obviously knew all the details. Moshe knew what has to be done. In fact, he was teaching it to Aaron and his sons. However, the individual offerings, which were certainly applicable to that time, and immediately, because it's understandable that every single day, there were many, many, many Jews who were eager to offer a carbon to Hashem, especially considering the fact that they were so excited and they had such great anticipation for this moment when they're finally going to be able to relieve themselves of the guilt of the, of the sin of the golden calf. And here they're able to, for the first eight days already, offer their offerings. So at least for them, it's important to, to explain and to detail all the particulars of all the offerings. And thus, because of their immense and intense excitement and eagerness to offer to offer korbanis to Hashem, Hashem discusses, discusses the individual offerings first. Hashem first talks about their need, their immediate need to make offerings to Hashem. Why then, however, discuss the only uh, discuss first as the first order of business? the uh, voluntary offerings versus the sin offerings, for example? It's obvious, it's very simple. Because during these seven days, during these seven, eight days, there was an intense and immense revelation of God's presence, of the Shekhinah. So it's obvious that not one Jew was able to come to a point in which they would be uh, obligated in which there would have been an imperative for them to offer a sin offering. Because it's obvious that no Jew was capable, was able of committing a sin in these seven days. And therefore, the only offerings that applied to that time period would have been only the voluntary individual offerings. Thus, the Torah discusses that first. Now, this takes care, this takes care of the Pshuta Shemikra phase. Meaning, this explains... Why it's so clear and obvious that, the, that Rashi didn't even have to explain it. Why the Torah does not address uh, the communal offerings, A, and B, why it talks about first the voluntary, voluntary offerings versus the obligatory offerings. However, the Rebbe takes this a step further and gives us a more esoteric and a deeper look at this whole matter. It is well known and obvious that the essential part of a carbon, meaning the most imperative aspect of each offering that a Jew brings 
is the kavana that it involves, the thought and intent that one has while bringing the carbon. In fact, the sages address this when they say, Echod echod hamamit. It doesn't matter, matter whether one brings a larger sacrifice or a smaller sacrifice. Uvilvad. What is the imperative? What is the most important thing? That one has the true intent to heaven. In other words, what's most essential in every sacrifice, in every offering, is the intent, is the kavana. This, by the way, goes even to an offering which one brings not on their own um, on their own uh, volition, not only when one brings a carbon out of their own voluntary choice, even when one is obligated to bring a carbon. For example, one has to bring it for atonement. One committed a sin. The Ramban, Nachmanides, states that really when one offers such an offering, one has to have kavana. One has to think in their mind that really, that since he sinned with his soul and with his body, he went against Hashem's will. Therefore, what's happening to that sacrifice, that its blood, the blood represents the soul, and its body, the flesh, is being burnt, the blood is being spilled on the altar, and the flesh is being burned, that that really should have happened to him. That really should have been done with him himself, being that he sinned to Hashem. So the bottom line is we see that what's most imperative in every carbon, what plays the greatest role, is not the actual offering of the carbon, rather the intent, the kavana. However, that begs for some clarification. If that's the case, if this is the most important stage of a carbon, how come the Torah doesn't make any mention of it at all? How come the Torah doesn't say anything about the kavana, the intent that one has to have? It's only the sages and later commentaries that point this out. The answer is, says the Rebbe, this is precisely what the Torah is doing by offering us first a glimpse, by offering us first the details of a voluntary carbon, of a voluntary offering. A voluntary offering, an adava, carbon adava, by definition, is something which one brings from the kavana, from the intent, from the goodness of their own heart. If they bring it because they want to get close to Hashem. It is clear in their actions what their kavana really truly is. And this perhaps can also help us better understand the choice, the verbiage that Rashi chooses to present this. He doesn't say that the Torah is talking about Karban Edava, but he says, quote, in the Karban Edava, in voluntary offerings, the entire matter is talking about. In other words, it's not just a matter of this particular carbon, but in each and every single carbon, the Torah is talking about this concept, this very first introduction of carbonus that it chooses, namely what? The carbonin nidava, the voluntary offerings, the one that comes out of the goodness, out of the good intent of one's heart. But still one can ask, still, why doesn't the Torah mention it explicitly? Why does the Torah first do it by first introducing a carbon and dava, but later it goes over to talk about the obligatory sacrifices and much later the communal sacrifices? Those are not clearly and obviously um, mandated by nidava by voluntary goodwill of a person to get close to Hashem. Those are forced on the person. Those are korbanas 
which a person ends up having no choice but to offer. Says the Rebbe, the answer is because the message the Torah is giving us is that even when a person is offering a sacrifice out of obligation, but in the depth of it, in the essence of it, built into every Jew is this aspect, is this idea of Nidava to Hashem, of this voluntary good will offering to Hashem. Meaning that in each and every carbon, in each and every sacrifice, a Jew, whether he's bringing it because he chose to do so, or whether because the Torah chose for him or obligated him to do so, but deep down, every Jew is doing so because every Jew has an inner need, an inner desire, an inner excitement of getting close to Hashem. And this is built into each and every Jew. We actually see this in Halacha, where the Torah says, quote, that a person has to bring a karban, to one's will, meaning one has to give it with their full consent. And the Torah tells, the Talmud tells us, that if one has to bring a karban, and for some reason they're refusing, you actually coerce him into bringing the karban. You coerce him to such a point that he says, quote, I want to do so. Now the question is, if you coerced him, he didn't really want to do it. So what does this coercion help? In other words, you're forcing him to say the words. Does he really mean it? And the answer is yes, because if he didn't really mean it, then it would not fit the bill. It would not match the criteria of Lirtsono, that he has to bring the offering to his own true desire. So what does that tell you? That even when you coerced him, what you did is you broke through the outer layer, that rebel part of him, but you were able to dig deep into his essence, the essence of a Jew, which really and essentially wants to be close to Hashem and wants to do that which is pleasing to Hashem. He wants to get close to Hashem. This can perhaps also help us have a better appreciation of what Rashi says also on these very same words, Adam Kiyakivikem, the man who will offer from you a carbon to Hashem. So Rashi tells us that why does it uh, use the choice term of Adam why doesn't it say with the typical one that the Torah usually uses, which is ish, or could it just said, when you're going to offer it, speaking to you, it's speaking to us. Why does it say Adam? So Rashi tells us, because this teaches us that, quote, just like Adam, the first Adam, the very first man, did not offer anything from gezel, from theft. Why? Because, quote, all was his. He was the only human being in the world. He and Chava were the only human beings and everything belonged to them. So too you should not bring any karbanis, you should not offer anything to Hashem that is not yours, that you, God forbid, obtained in illicit ways. However, the question is, the Talmud itself tells us that we actually learn this law from another word, where it says, Mikhem, from you. It says the Talmud that this teaches us that it has to come from you, from yours. So why then does Rashi choose to tell us this, to tell us this from this word, Adam? The answer is, one of the reasons why mankind is called Adam is based on a verse in Yeshayo, in the Isaiah, where it says, Adam le'elyon, which means I'll match, or I am similar, I am compared to le'elyon, to the one above. That means... Every man has a certain comparison, so to speak, to Hashem himself. Where do we find such a comparison? Where is it that Adam was in such a state that he was, quote, 
everything belonged to him. And he was Adam Elyoin, that he was, so to speak, compared and like the one above. That is at the time when Adam was in his ultimate state. When was that? When he was still in Gan Eden, before he and Chava sinned, before the cardinal sin. At that stage, Adam was indeed Adam Elyoin. And everything and all things were his. And that's what Rashi is pointing out. That when it comes to offering a carbon to Hashem, every Jew, his true essence come out, comes out. His true Adam emerges. The true inner Jew emerges. Regardless of what the motive is or why the person is bringing the carbon, what is triggering it, whether it's a voluntary carbon or an obligatory carbon because he sinned. The true Jew comes out, and in that point, he is like, he is exactly like, and he's on the level of Adam Harishain, the very first man before he sinned when he was in his ultimate state, and truly comparable, so to speak, to Hashem. And that is the true meaning and the true reason of all Karbanis, even the Karbanis that one offers because, of, you know, triggered by sin or because of a guilt offering and so on and so forth. And this takes us to yet another thing that Rashi explains on the very first verse of this week's parsha. It says, Vayikra el Moshe, and he called to Moshe, which is really an obscure expression. Typically, the Torah says, Vayidaber Hashem el Moshe. Hashem spoke to Moshe. It doesn't say, and he called to Moshe. So Rashi tells us what is the meaning behind this expression, that this is, quote, the same expression that the angels in heaven use to call upon one another. This is a Lashen Shel Chiba. This is an expression of love, an expression of endearment, endearment. That Hashem is calling to Moshe. He's calling to him in a way of endearment, just like the angels talk to each other, so to speak, in heaven. Question, why did he choose? Why did Hashem choose to express this idea specifically in this matter, in the matter of offerings of sacrifices. Says the Rebbe, this is the point. Because by the union of Korbanis, by the matter of sacrifices, as we just explained, that's where the true essence, the true inner being of a Jew emerges, comes out, in which he is like Adam. He is that special and most cherished thing that Hashem has. And thus Hashem calls to Moshe to tell us about the offerings. Through Moshe, he's calling us. He's calling us in an expression of endearment. And this is the sum total of what offerings are about, what sacrifices are about. Because a Jew, by bringing an offering, is bringing out his essence, which says what? I don't want to be separate from God. I want to be close to Hashem. I want to be one with Hashem. And that is the meaning of the word karban, which comes from the root word kiruv, which means to come close. So Hashem reflects that. It's like a reflection when one looks in a mirror. Or like it says, kamayim aponim aponim. Just like when you look into a clear body of water, what do you see staring back at you? The reflection of the face that's looking into the water, so too Hashem shows us his love and his special endearment that he has for us as like we have for him.